Well, church, let me now invite you to grab a Bible and join me in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have a Bible app on your phone, we got Bibles all around the room. And so we would welcome for you to not only grab one of those, but if you need a Bible at home, take one of those Bibles with you. We want to make sure that everyone can see for themselves what the Word of God is saying. 1 Peter 3 is in the New Testament. We are walking through this great letter from the Apostle Peter to the early church. And, and we're walking through it verse by verse. We just stepped into chapter three last week. We'll pick up right where we left off last week in verse seven is where we'll begin today. And just what you know, throughout the fall, we're gonna be spending time in this book. We're, we're literally going verse by verse through First Peter uh, until we reach the end of this book. So for the next couple of months or so, we're gonna be spending time together in First Peter. As you're turning there though, I do wanna let you know of, of something that's happening today as it relates to our 21-day prayer focus. It's been such a gift this week to gather with many people for our morning prayer time and, and to know that many more are praying through the prayer guide throughout the week. But today, as we continue in this focus, uh, specifically this afternoon, we're going to be having a healing prayer service in this room four o'clock. And we, we just want you to know that this is for anyone. This is for anyone who, who, who needs to see God intervene in your life and in your circumstance. It could be re related to something physical that you're walking through. It could be re related to something emotional or something relational that you're walking through. We, we've got a, a team of people ready to pray over you intentionally and specifically. This has been a very meaningful service in the past here at Shades. And we want to invite you into this today at four o'clock. So if you're carrying some burdens, if you got some stuff going on in your life that you would love someone to pray for, pray over you specifically, we'd love to do that. And if you want to come and be a part of the service and, and, and pray in the room as people are being prayed for, we'd love for you to be a part of that as well. So today at four o'clock in the room, a healing prayer service. Now, let me, let me encourage you to turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. And I do want to invite you, I know you just got, got comfortable being seated, but I want to invite you to stand if you're willing and able with me as I read the Word of God. And I want you to know if you're new to Shades, we do this each week for the reading of God's Word at the beginning of a message. We stand together. Why do we do that? We stand because the Word of God is the foundation on which the people of God stand. And so we physically want to be reminded of what we've been given in this firm foundation underneath the feet of the church that is the Word of God. It's the Word of God that shows us what is right and good and true according to God. And so we turn our attention to what God is saying through His Word. And today we're looking specifically at the marriage relationship. We started this last week looking at the role of a wife in a marriage. Today we're looking specifically at the role of a husband in the marriage. And we're looking at one verse. So let's see what the Word of God lays before us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heir with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, 
says, they are heir with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. We find ourselves in the midst of this intentional prayer focus, looking at what the word of God says in the marriage relationship, specifically to a husband, to a wife. And husbands, we must understand this. Prayer is on the line here. And the way God responds to us when we pray is at stake. This is some very, very weighty stuff, but some very important stuff. Let's ask the Lord to show us what we need to see, and then we'll be seated together and we'll dive into this text. But we need to call on heaven. We need to call on the Spirit of God to come and speak into our lives right now. So I want to ask you to pray with me to that end. Father, we stand before you on the truth of your word, needing to hear what you say. There are so many opinions about marriage in our culture today. There are so many different definitions of marriage in our culture today. Father God, we need to hear what our creator says. So I pray, Lord God, in the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts to listen, to think deeply, and to receive what you say. Please, Lord God, move among your people. Please, Lord God, move among the church. Please, Lord God, show us what you desire for us to see as we consider the marriage relationship according to your design. And please, Lord God, show me as a husband and every husband who is listening to this specifically what you have for us in this passage. As we look to you, have your way. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. Husbands, I I just want to jump right into this. I realize you may be here today. You're not married. I realize you may be here today. You're not a husband. There's something here for all of us, but this is a text that is specifically directed to a husband in a marriage. And what we need to understand as we step into this specific text is every time the the Bible, every time the word of God speaks of the marriage relationship, there is a consistent theme for the role of a husband in the marriage relationship according to God's design. What is that? Well, we see this from Genesis all the way through the Apostle Paul's letters to the church. We see it in Colossians. We see it in Ephesians. We see it here in 1 Peter chapter 3. The, The role as God has designed for the husband in the marriage is to be the spiritual leader and the head of the household the spiritual leader and the head of the household. Now, before we get kind of uppity about that and say, yeah, y'all follow my lead if you're a husband, now you got to understand there's some serious implications here. And what this means in this calling of God on a husband in a marriage relationship to be the spiritual leader and the head of the household is that there are serious implications as it relates to Accountability. Husbands, you are accountable to God. You are accountable to God for the the, the way you lead 
your household spiritually. You are accountable to God for, for the spiritual vitality of your family. You are accountable to God for the way you lead your wife spiritually. That's heavy to hear. It's important to hear. And with that in mind, as we step into 1 Peter 3, verse 7, we've been given a great gift here. Because Peter, as he writes to the church about the marriage relationship and specifically speaks to the husbands in this verse, he's providing this gift of some, some greater clarity saying, husbands, here's some things you need to pay attention to as it relates to this calling on your life. Here's some things you need to pay attention to as it relates to, to the, what God has given you in this gift of the marriage relationship. And so I, I wanna draw out three specific things from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse seven, that, that the husband, according to God's word, is called to pay attention to in this calling. Three specific things that we see a husband is called to do as it relates to his calling in the marriage. Number one, we're gonna see that the husband is called to be a student, to be a student of his wife, to, to understand, to know, to study her. Uh, secondly, we're gonna see that the husband is called to be a servant because the model, as we will see throughout scripture, the model is Christ. The way he loves the church the way he gave himself up for the church. A husband is called to be a servant. And then finally, we're gonna see in this verse that a husband is called to be a steward, that there is a gift that has been given to a husband in the marriage relationship, and he is called to steward that gift well. So let's step back into our text today. First Peter 3, verse seven, we see that the husband is called to be a student where it says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand what's going on beneath the surface. Understand what's important to her. Understand what she's passionate about. Understand what she gets excited about. Understand what she's concerned about. Understand what she might be afraid of. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Why? Because you've been given an incredible gift. The Word of God says this about a wife in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Husbands, I hope I'm not saying something you've never heard before. I hope you're really aware of this. I hope you communicate how grateful you are for this. Husbands, your wife is a good thing. Somebody say amen. Come on, that's good stuff. Your wife is a good thing and she is evidence of the favor of God in your life. She is a gift from God. And isn't it incredible that she said yes? I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing to consider that, that she committed her life to you in a marriage covenant that, 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 she, that she walked down an aisle and said, I do to, to spend my life with, with this man. That's a gift from God. And one of the great gifts of being married is that you get to unpack the depths of the riches of this gift throughout the marriage journey. There are layers and layers of this gift that you need to understand and discover. So study your bride. 
Study your bride the way you study something that you truly love. I mean, it's almost college football season. I know some of you guys. You know every stat about your team. You've been tracking recruiting. You might know more about some of the recruits than you know about what your wife cares about. It's because you got your studying priorities out of whack. Hey, it's almost hunting season. I love to hunt. Man, I love to be in the woods. I'm excited. I love to study the patterns of, of, of what God's great creation is doing in the woods so that I can step into the midst of that pattern, you know, deliver something from the Lord for this being to come provide for my family. <laughs> I love to study. But are we studying things where our priorities are out of whack? Are you studying your bride the way you study some other things that you love? Are you a student of your bride? Are you seeking to live with her in an understanding way, to know what makes her tick, to know what makes her fired up, to know what makes her laugh, to know what brings her joy, to know her dreams, to know what she's praying about? Are you living with your wife in an understanding way? We're also to know what she's concerned about. What burdens does she feel? What is she afraid of? In fact, Peter even talks about this in the verse before, verse six, when, when Peter is communicating to the wives about their specific role in the marriage. He, he says something interesting. He says to the wife, do not fear what is frightening. Why, why would Peter say that? Because for many wives, the marriage relationship is, is a frightening thing to consider. I mean, you know, husbands, that when, you're, when your wife walked down the aisle and said, I do, she was taking a step of faith and committing her, her, her life in, in the marriage covenant to a sinful man. That's a frightening thing. And she was stepping out on faith, saying, I, I believe that what he's saying in his vows, uh, that he actually believes, I believe that, that he is going to accept the role as the spiritual authority and leader of our home accountable to God. I believe that, that he wants to finish well. That when he says till death do us part, he means it. I believe that, that he wants to hold to these vows and, and honor me. And serve me and love me. But do you know, any wife can look around in our culture and see so many examples of how that doesn't happen. Marriages are falling apart everywhere. That's terrifying. And so a wife can see that and say, okay, well, I, I believe in faith that, 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 that my husband is going to honor his vows and follow through and, and live as the spiritual leader and seek to finish well and love me to the end. But that's a scary thing because it may not happen. And so God says in his word, 1 Peter 3, to the wife, look to the Lord. Make sure your hope is in the Lord. Because if your hope is, is simply in a husband to provide everything that, that your heart desires, you're, you're going to be disappointed. So make sure your hope is in the Lord. And then to the husbands, he said, and make sure you lead your wife in such a way that she has no reason to fear. I mean, there are things that are going to happen outside of your marriage that, that may elicit fear for, for your wife. But there better not be something in your marriage that is causing fear. No, live with her in such a way 
that she sees and knows and understands there is no reason to fear in this marriage. There is no reason to fear in this household because my husband is leading me as Christ led and loved the church. The word of God here is showing us something that's challenging for us to consider because there are there are many marriages where, where fear just becomes a reality. Are you, are you living with your wife in an understanding way that you, that you know what concerns her, that you know what, what brings fear into her life, and you know you're not a contributor to that fear? Study your wife. Be a student of your wife. One of the greatest ways that you can study your wife and know what's going on in her heart is to pray together. Now, I just got to tell you, I absolutely love hearing Megan, my wife, pray. She's got this really sweet prayer voice, like really gentle prayer voice. It's just awesome. I love it. But more than the sound of her voice as she prays, I just love that when she prays, I get to hear her heart because she prays really honest. She is incredibly authentic when she prays. And when I hear her prayer, I can hear what's weighing heavy on her heart. I can hear what she's crying out to the Lord for, and I can understand more how I can pray for her and with her and come alongside her in that. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Be a student of your wife. One of the great gifts we have as a husband in a marriage is to continue to discover the gift that God has given us in the marriage relationship. Continue to be a student and see this blessing, this favor of the Lord that is your bride. Secondly, we see that the husband is called to be a servant. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, that, that's a term right there that certainly in our culture today can come across offensive. I mean, what in the world is the Bible saying? Is the Bible saying that, that all, all wives are, are weak, that they're second-class citizens, that somehow they're inferior? Absolutely not. That's not what the word of God is saying, which is why Peter says, show honor to your wife. And it talks about the weaker vessel, though. What is this all about? Well, certainly there's, there's an element here of dealing with physical strength. And this is not saying that, that a wife cannot be physically stronger than her husband. I mean, I, I've, I've seen some MMA fights. There's some pretty strong ladies out there that could take it to task, you know. I'm, I'm not saying this is just about a, a wife or a husband and their strength with one another. What I am saying is that the Word of God says to a husband, your strength, whatever your strength is, your strength should be a gift to your wife. Your strength should be a gift to your wife. It should be a blessing to your wife. It should not be something she's afraid of. It should not be something that causes you to be domineering over her. It is not something that should be a threat to her. Your strength should be a blessing to your wife. 
And this is not just talking about physical strength. This is also pointing us to the strength and the power of our words, the things we say, and even the way we say them. And, and husbands, I will confess to you as a husband, this is an area of life where I've needed a lot of growth. I love to preach, and I love to talk in a preacher voice. And that's not really effective in a conversation about marriage with my wife. And I've learned that the hard way. I'm not proud of that. I've needed to be forgiven there. I've needed to, to grow in the way I say the things that I say. Our words have tremendous power. They can be a gift or they can be a threat. They can be dangerous. They can be painful, which is why the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, verse 19, love your wife, husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with her. Do not be harsh with her. You know, you can say the right thing completely the wrong way. And it loses its rightness. It's not that you change what's right because of how you say it. I'm just saying you can say it the wrong way and it has zero impact in a positive way. You can say something that's true and actually be destructive because of how you say it. Do not be harsh with her. Your strength, physically, your strength in your voice and the things you say, it should be a gift. It should be a blessing to your bride. Show her honor. Show her honor. We also are reminded here, though, that when this, when this says weaker vessel, it's actually talking about something that is incredibly valuable, something that is incredibly precious. The, the comparison could be drawn to like fine china or crystal or valuable jewels, that this is something that, that is delicate but precious and valuable. Is that how you are treating your bride? Remember Proverbs 18:22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Is that what's driving the way you interact with your bride? That this is an unbelievable gift and you want to serve this gift that you've been given to show her honor, to love her in such a way that she can see the love of God alive in you. The way you honor your bride with your strength is to follow the example of Jesus. And here I want to turn us to a passage of scripture that actually on the surface is, is not about marriage at all. It's about the example of Christ. But the reason I want to turn us to this passage in Philippians chapter 2 is because the, the example we're supposed to follow, husbands, is Christ. Ephesians 5 says it, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's our example. So what does it mean to follow the example of Christ? Think about the impact of applying this example to your marriage and what this would mean for the marriage relationship. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, it, it says to those who are followers of Christ, have this attitude among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our example. What if this was your example for marriage? Called to be a servant. It's so important to understand when we are opening the word of God, specifically when we're looking to these letters written to the early church, that that the Christian faith that was being lived out in the early church, in the first century church, it was completely countercultural in every way. The Christian message was literally transforming lives, literally turning people into a new creation, literally, like completely different than the cultural norm around them. And so you have this this early church, this this gathering, really a small minority of people who have been transformed by the good news of the gospel and the saving grace that is in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they're called to live completely different from the world around them And that includes in marriage. Their marriages are to look different because of what Christ has done. Husbands are to live different because of what Christ has done. Husbands are to follow an example given to us in Christ to to serve, to lay down our life, to sacrifice for the sake of our bride. And think about how powerful it is when the husband sees this as his example. When the husband accepts the role as spiritual leader of his household and, and when, the, when the husband says, I want to follow the example of Christ and I want to give myself up for the sake of the bride and I want to sacrifice and serve for the sake of my bride. And can I just tell you the implications of that? The consequences of that? When a husband sacrifices and serves that his bride would be brought to life. It's an unbelievable marriage. That's the implication. It's an unbelievable marriage. So why do we hang on to our pride the way we do? And why do we refuse to serve? And why do we try to domineer? And why do we try to lord it over? And and why do we try to manipulate a scenario? Why? Because we've lost sight. We've lost sight of what we've been given. We've lost sight of our example. We've lost sight of the way our Savior laid down his life so that we might live. And we've lost sight of the gift that it is to be called into a relationship to follow the example of Christ that we would give our life so that the one we love would live. And so Peter is reminding us, the word of God is reminding us, look to Christ. Go back to the example that has been given to you. Go back to the gift that has been given to you. Look 
to Christ. See what Christ has done for you and see this amazing calling that he has brought on your life if you are a husband to say you get to follow the example of the Savior and you get to be used by God to lead the one you love to flourish in life. What a privilege. What a gift. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Serve your wife as Christ served the church. Called to be a student, called to be a servant, and then finally called to be a steward. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this, Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The word of God shows us time and time again when it talks about marriage, that your marriage is a gift from God. And husbands, you are called to be a steward of a gift that has been been entrusted to you. And please don't miss this. You are accountable. And that's what Peter's pointing to here. He's saying, first, let me remind you through, through the language that is used in this verse That even as the husband and wife have different roles, very distinct roles in the marriage relationship, they are co-heirs of grace. They are equal in value in the sight of God. They are both covered in the grace of God through the gift of salvation if they have trusted their life to Jesus Christ. This means husband and wife in very different roles have beautiful equal value in the sight of God. And this reminds us to keep our eyes on the grace that we have been given. Keep our eyes on the gospel, the finished work of Jesus as the foundation of our marriage. And it's with this in mind that Peter says, as you think about this calling to be a steward of the grace that God has given you, be a steward of the gift that you have been given in the grace that is your wife. Your wife is evidence of God's grace in your life. She is a good thing. She is the favor of the Lord. She is the daughter of the king and he has given you her hand in marriage. Think about that. Anyone that's in Christ is called a child of God, adopted into the family of God, sons and daughters. That means that your wife in Christ is a daughter of the king and her hand in marriage has been given to you, husband. How are you stewarding the gift that you have been given? This really raises the stakes, right? I mean, what would you say if the king of kings came to you today and asked the question, how are you stewarding the gift that I've given you that is your bride? Are you leading her and loving her in such a way that she is flourishing? Are you leading her and loving her in such a way that she is growing in her faith and is continually reminded of my love for her? Are you treating her like a co-heir of grace? Are you treating her like she's my daughter, a daughter of the king? Husbands, you have been given a gift and you are accountable for how you steward that gift. Peter shows us that when he says here in verse 7, 
The way you steward this gift has direct implications on the way your prayers are heard so that your prayers may not be hindered. What's that all about? Well, I I, I want you to know as a father of two daughters, I feel like I, I have a very personal understanding of what this verse is saying. Because I can assure you that if some dude messes with one of my girls, if some dude neglects one of my girls, hurts one of my girls, and then shows up at my doorstep and asks me for a favor, I'm like, hold on, brother. We got another conversation we need to have before we talk about this favor. We got something else we need to talk about before we talk about whatever you want to ask for. And please hear me, God is the perfect father. He's way, way better than I am as a father. And God in his love and his grace is saying to husbands, If you are neglecting your God-given responsibility to be the spiritual leader and head of your household, if you're neglecting your role to to love and serve your wife as Christ loved the church, and then you want to come and ask me for something, there's actually a conversation that we need to have beforehand. And that conversation is, are you willing to repent? Are you aware of your need for grace? Or are you just acting like you can do whatever you want and then just come ask me for anything? Look, if you're not willing to repent, if you're not aware of your need for grace, if you're not humble before the Lord in the responsibility that he has given you and, and, and you're neglecting your role, and then you're praying to God, God's saying, hold on, like, we, we can't even go there yet. We can't even go there. Because I don't know if you understand the gospel. If you understand the gospel, you will be on your knees before your heavenly father in desperate need of grace, in desperate need of forgiveness, recognizing your flaws, your inadequacies, your need for a savior, saying, please help me be the husband that you've created me to be. Please help me be the man that you've called me to be. And and when you're praying those prayers, God hears everything you're saying and God responds. And when you're praying those prayers, God says, you can ask me for anything you want to ask me or need to ask me. But when you have a prideful posture, refusing to repent, neglecting your responsibility as a husband, neglecting your wife in the way she is to be treated as Christ loved the church, and then you're going to throw up some flippant prayers. God's saying, hold on. That's my girl. That's my girl. let's, Let's start with what's going on in the marriage. Let's start with talking about the way you've been treating my girl. Let's start with repentance. And then we can go into anything else you need to ask me.
This is tough. But isn't this a loving father? A loving father who's saying to some husbands, husbands, it's it's time to, to step up. It's time to, to lean in in faith to the, to the role that I've called you to. You've been given a gift. What are you doing with that gift? Let's talk about how you're stewarding that gift. Since your prayers will not be hindered. Look, I, I know this may stir up some challenges in your own thoughts, in your own Mind right now as you think about perhaps some of you have had some situations where you know you've really missed the mark or, or you've neglected your role or neglected your responsibility. Please, please hear me. I'm not trying to, to load shame on your shoulders. I'm not trying to be heavy handed. I'm trying to point you to the word of God because the word of God brings to you a gift. And the word of God draws you back to your need for grace. And the word of God draws you back to the incredible work of Christ at the cross. And so it's my prayer through some very challenging words in the scripture that this would not hit heavy like shame and embarrassment. And you'd be like, oh, I can't do it. No, that it would be an invitation of a gracious God saying to you, come back. Come back. Let me, let me breathe life into you. Let me remind you of what I've called you to. Let me, let me position you to be used in your marriage as a gift. As we close, I want to I take us back to the original marriage in the garden because I know that, that this message today can, can hit heavy. And so I, I want us to see this incredible picture that we are given when Adam in the original marriage neglects his God-given responsibility. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you read the account of the fall where sin enters the equation in Genesis 3, you see that the man Adam, he, he sat passively by while his wife Eve took of the forbidden fruit. And then, and then Adam willingly joined her in this rebellion against God and what God says is best. The husband completely neglected his role as the spiritual leader of his marriage and his household. And when this happens, there's all kind of shame that enters the equation for Adam and for Eve. In fact, the Bible tells us in Genesis 3 that they, for the first time, they don't want to be around God. They run and they hide to try and stay away from God in the garden. The Bible also says that for the first time, they they feel completely exposed. They, They had perfect bodies that were not tainted by sin. They were running around, buck wild, naked, feeling good about life. And now all of a sudden sin has entered the equation and they're completely mortified that they're naked and they try to cover themselves. They feel so vulnerable, completely exposed. And so they grab some leaves from the garden to try and cover themselves and make an outfit. But God, God doesn't leave them in their shame. 
Please hear this today. If you're here feeling the weight of neglected responsibility, feeling like you've missed the mark, feeling ashamed for some things that you've done, God doesn't leave them in their shame. He comes to them. He comes and meets them in their shame. And look at what it says in Genesis 3, verse 21. This is an amazing, shocking, beautiful verse. It says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Why is that shocking? Why is that beautiful? Well, it's shocking because for the first time, Adam and Eve are are coming face to face with blood. For the first time, an animal has been killed. For the first time, they're, they're seeing this shock, agony of death. And they're realizing God killed that animal. Blood, gore, the horrifying sound of death for the first time has pierced their ears. It is shocking. But at the same time, it is incredibly beautiful. Why? Because it's through the shedding of the blood of that animal that a covering is given to Adam and Eve in their sin. God takes the skin from that animal, makes clothes for them, covers them. They can't cover themselves. They tried. It didn't work. God has to, through blood, cover their sin. And so for the first time, Adam and Eve come face to face with blood. And at the same time, for the first time, they come face to face with grace. Please don't miss this because this is a picture of what Christ has done for us. The perfect spotless lamb of God goes to a cross to shed his blood so that there can be a covering that meets us in our shame that meets us in our sin, that covers us with grace. There can be a covering that calls us out of death into new life. There can be a covering that provides mercy in our time of need. There's a covering that forgives sin and makes us right with God. That covering is Jesus Christ. Paul writes of it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's a covering. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's a covering through the blood of the cross that meets us in our sin and meets us in our shame and calls us to new life, a new creation in the righteousness of God. Two questions. Have you received that covering in your life personally? Have you received the gift that Christ alone can provide, the covering for your sin and shame through his blood at the cross? Have you received that? That's what we would call the gift of salvation. Have you received that? And then second question, do you believe that this covering 
can apply to your marriage. Do you believe, husbands, that the covering of God's grace, the covering of the blood of the cross, the covering of the power of the resurrection of Jesus, the covering of new life can begin a new story and a new journey for your marriage. As the spiritual leader and the head of the household, if you believe that needs to happen in your marriage, God says to you, just ask. Just ask. Just come to your Father. Acknowledge your sin. Say to the Father, I'm ready to love your girl, the gift that you've given me, the way she deserves, and I'm ready for a new start. Just ask. May the covering of God's grace be applied to your life.